Okay, so right now is kind of that weird time in hockey. Um, the uh, the Stanley Cup has been awarded. We've seen a uh, very entertaining weekend in Vegas with uh, various members of the Vegas Golden Knights celebrating their Stanley Cup win. William Carlson, I'm looking your direction, sir. Um, and right now, so we're all waiting for the draft next week and the NHL awards and then free agency. Uh, we're still going to be carrying on with the show for a couple of weeks here to make sure that you're covered with all of it. But right now, it's kind of that weird kind of time where things are happening behind the scenes and conversations are certainly happening. And things may just happen suddenly, like maybe a buyout, like we saw with Oliver ekman Larson uh, last week. And we'll get into that with Elliot Friedman here in a couple of moments and what that means for uh, the Vancouver Canucks and what that means for Oliver ekman Larson himself. And I guess to some extent as well, what that means to the uh, the Arizona Coyotes who have to retain now for checks notes eight years on, uh, on Oliver ekman Larson as well. Not just the Vancouver Canucks folks that are retaining salary and that slot is gone and they will continue to retain now for not four, but eight seasons on Oliver ekman Larson. But it's one of those situations here where everybody's anticipating the draft and that's the big sort of next tentpole on the horizon here. And I know that we... <laughs> I know that we say this every year. I know every season we head into the draft and we say, man, this year's NHL draft, sure, it's about the kids and we're all looking forward to Connor Bedard. Uh, and, you know, he'll be, you know, go to the Chicago Blackhawks first overall. Not much intrigue there. Um, you know, we'll see who ends up going number two, whether it's Fantilli, whether it's Carlson, where does Matt Faye Mitchkoff end up? All these questions, etc. We'll debate and discuss all of it. But, the one thing that we always talk about is it seems as if this season and it seems as if this year there will be plenty of trade activity come draft. Now, we got it last year, and a lot of it was courtesy of Pierre Dorian, uh, who pulled the big move, uh, making the trade with the Chicago Blackhawks for Alex DeBrinkett. It seems as if Ottawa is poised now uh, to move on from Alex DeBrinkett, maybe at the draft. But I think what it does underscore is there's a couple of things co- uh, colliding here right now. Um, one, the flat cap, and two, teams needing and hoping to turn around quickly. Um, and the way to do that is you're not waiting for drafting and development, etc. You are trying to trade your way out of problems. And if you look at the two teams that just competed for the Stanley Cup, what do they both have in common? They traded their way to success. Now, for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the big trades included um, Jack Eichel, who was enormous, Ivan Barbashev at the deadline, which paid off dividends. For the Florida Panthers, we'll always think about, talk about, speculate on uh, the Matthew Kachuk deal. So I think we're looking at a situation where, and, and by the way, we should point out too, it's not exactly the most, how shall we say, robust free agent class this season so teams looking to turn things around or take that next step or get themselves into the playoffs where as florida showed you just need to get in and get hot and you can do some damage and maybe find yourself in the stanley cup final i know we say this every year folks but it does feel as if this season again we're poised for more activity uh, at the draft. That's one of the questions, by the way, I'll ask Guillermo Kekalainen. The uh, Columbus Blue Jackets general manager stops by here towards the bottom of the hour. I already mentioned Elliot comes by in a couple of moments here. Thomas Drance uh, from the Athletic and Canucks Talk uh, will be discussing the Oliver ekman Larson fallout 
And this was one that surprised a lot of people. You know, um, the Vancouver Canucks, we didn't think we were going to use buyouts, despite the fact that we've heard Jim Rutherford before talk about, you know, using whatever is available in the, C- uh, in the CBA. So we'll get into the Oliver ekman Larson in the future of the Vancouver Canucks uh, situation with Thomas Trance coming up in hour two. Also, Peter Baugh. We're hoping, fingers crossed, from the Athletic. We're going to sort of, as the days go on here, focus on some of the more intriguing teams uh, around the NHL, and we'll cross our fingers and hope that we can get Peter on a little bit later on. We're kind of doing this one on the fly, folks. So uh, that's going to be the show today. There's going to be a lot about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights weekend and the future of that squad. We're going to talk plenty about Oliver ekman Larson uh, and the future of the Vancouver Canucks and where Oliver ekman Larson himself uh, may end up at a very deep, deep, deep discount, I might add. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs coaching search for an assistant to replace Spencer Carberry. Uh, that's on the horizon as well. Plenty to get to uh, on another edition of the Jeff Merrick Show. So let's get going. Elliot Friedman on the other side. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So it's the draft, it's the awards, it's the free agency. We are carrying on, folks. We are carrying on. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Freach. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I am well. You know, um, that was we'll a delayed reaction. Are you sure? Are you sure? Uh, yeah, you know, I do have to think about it every now and then because, as I like <laughs> to say, Elliot, it's been a long life. It's been a long life. Um, you and I just sat down with Chuck Fletcher uh, a couple of hours ago, and this podcast will be released. I think we're putting it out on Wednesday. And, you know, pretty yes. interesting. He's, he's working with us this year as part of our draft coverage, along with uh, Jason Bukala and Carolyn Cameron and Sam Cosentino and David Amber and Kyle Bukowskis, um sending the whole crew out uh, for the draft again in Nashville. And, um, you know, Chuck Fletcher is an interesting guy when it comes to the draft. He's been part of uh, drafts for a number of different teams, whether it's the Penguins or the Ducks or the Minnesota Wild, where he, you know, he really did uh, a lot of good work for that Minnesota Wild squad. Also for the Philadelphia Flyers as well. Um, I don't want to give away a lot of the things or any of the things really that we we talked about. There were a couple of moments where we talked about teams making offers for certain players. But when you look at at, at Chuck Fletcher, uh, ex-GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, what comes to your mind right away? And then sort of in and around the draft, that is. Well, I think I think we learned a lot of it there. I think the thing that he was really good about. Um, I think the thing that was he was really good about was just the nuts and bolts of the draft, like how it works. And I think that that's one of the things that people are going to be interested in. How often do you vary from your list? What kind of fights are there? Um, the process uh, between like who gets to, who makes what pick. Um, you know, he told a story about Brian Murray and he said, we did our list and you had your yeah. chance to argue it beforehand. So we're not changing it now. Um, you know, I, I think the things like that are the stuff that I really enjoyed the most. Sometimes I think, you know, the, the stories about the fights are fun. The stories about the debates at the draft table are fun, but I also like the stuff about the process mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, in order to do things properly, you just have to have a good process and, I really found that part of the conversation uh, interesting. You know, the uh, the Fletcher name is, of course, synonymous with uh, with management in the NHL, whether it's Chuck, uh, his father, Cliff, 
uh, as well. It's funny. I was I was talking with uh, with Sherry Basson over the weekend, and we were yeah. reminiscing about uh, you know the Matt Sundin trade, and you know Sherry ran point on that one, and you know when the the Quebec Nordiques discovered they had you know f- uh, five centers for four spots, or really five centers for three spots because these were all uh, elite level talents. Uh, they were going to move off of Matt Sundin and. You know, he approached uh, Cliff Fletcher to have the conversation, and they started to go back and forth on players that could be involved. And the Nordiques really wanted Sylvain Lefebvre, loved him, I and mean, why not? And loved him as a defenseman, uh, wanted him on the Nordiques. And, uh, and Basson said, um, I mentioned the name Wendell Clark, and the first thing that came out of Cliff Fletcher's mouth after a long pause was, uh, Sherry, can you put me in the deal? Because if I trade <laughs> Wendell Clark from Toronto, they're going to run me out of town. Um, which I thought was 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 pretty funny. Um, and then that that trade ended up getting consummated at the Hartford draft. But um, I know this is sort of a, a a wide open and generic sort of question for you. If there's anything off the top of your head, there have been so many you know tremendous draft draft day stories. Um, are there any draft stories that you're particularly fond of or big moments, uh, big trades, funny things that happen? And we can all think of, you know, the Claude Giroux situation um, with the Philadelphia Flyers and Bobby Clark so many years ago. But any draft memories, uh, either ones that you worked or watched that, uh, that uh, jumped to your mind right away? Well, I, the one, I, and I alluded to it on a podcast, and somebody called me about it, was when the Leafs had the number one overall pick the year they got Austin Matthews. A couple minutes before the selection, uh, someone called Toronto's table, and Lamorello picked up the phone and, and said, stop looking for attention, and hung it up. And I, I've <laughs> always believed that was Arizona for obvious reasons. And uh, I think that's yeah. true. I, I just think that story is really funny. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of yeah. um, there, there's a lot of things I think that happen or people try to make happen that don't happen. I mean, I love the videos Brian Murray and Brian Berg talking about the trade for the Cadre yeah. pick, uh, Mike Milbury yep. and the and the Volshkov pick. Um, you know, there there's some great video out there. Um, you know, the one that almost happened between San Jose and, and St. Louis with T.J. Oshie and the pick that became Timo Meyer and Doug Wilson squelched it when Meyer was still available. He decided to take the player. Um, you know, I love, like, there's a lot of drafts. Like, like actually, uh, Cliff Fletcher told me a story once, which I love. And it's that um, the year he drafted Joe Neuendijk, he... Um, you know, he wanted to take a goalie. And there were four picks before Calgary picked. And they're like, okay, we're going to get one of these goalies. And I think they were, people can look this up, but I think they were Sean Burke, Kay Whitmore, and Troy Gamble. And they were like, okay, we've got four picks left and before us, and we're getting one of these three goalies. And you can check and see what the order was they went. But I think Burke went first. He's like, okay, we still got two left with two picks to go. And then Whitmore went next and they started looking at each other at the Calgary table. And sure enough, I think Gamble went third and they're like, Holy smokes. We just lost all three of our goalies. And like, who's the next guy on our list? And it was Joe Neuendijk. And, you know, it worked out pretty well for them. You know, I I think the other ones too is I mentioned this one with Chuck today, but the, um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys who never went off their draft list, never, ever, ever, uh, they admitted the one time they did it 
was Joe Montana. He was next on their list, and they took a linebacker, I think named Larry Bethea, instead of him, and they cost them Joe Montana. And another one, there's a great book by Ernie Acorsi, who used to be a football GM, and he talked about um, the uh, Paul Brown, who the Cleveland Browns are named after. He wanted a quarterback named Len Dawson one year in the draft. And Dawson went before the pick before the Browns were to pick and Paul Brown was devastated. And they're like, Oh my God, like who's next? He, he couldn't even talk. He was so crushed and they rushed to grab the draft list. Mm-hmm. And the next guy on the list was Jim Brown. And I would say that worked out pretty well for the Cleveland Browns. I, I love stuff like that. <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of things here. So do you remember, because you're right about that run on goaltenders. It was uh, Sean Burke with New Jersey at 24, Troy Gamble, Vancouver, 25, uh, Kate yeah. Hartford yeah. At, 20, at 26, and then to your point, Cliff Fletcher uh, grabs Joe Neuendijk, great pick. Uh, yeah. Do you know who the, the draft pick right, at, right after Joe Neuendijk was? No, I don't. Who was it? Mike Richter. New oh, York so Rangers they didn't have net. they didn't have Richter as high on their list. Like that's fantastic. <laughs> they didn't. I never knew they that didn't. part of the story. It was, it was Mike Mike Richter right after. Um, yeah, there are, are so you know it, the the funny. Oh, sorry, so this this has been a thing for a long time. It's funny that you mentioned that about the run on goaltenders because. Listen, uh, what's the old saying? Goalies are voodoo. And, so, and we get into this with, with Chuck a little bit about, about drafting goaltenders and how, how much, even though it's becoming more of a precise um, practice now, generally managers have looked at goaltenders and said, I don't know if I want to do this in the first round. There's so much of a gamble, uh, the development, et cetera, and the, and the development curves, et cetera. We're going to wait till later on. And what you found... Um, for the longest time in the NHL, it always took Elliot one manager to break the seal and draft a goalie, and then everybody tried to grab the goaltenders. But nobody wanted to go first. You know, it was always this weird phenomenon of the draft where you didn't want to be the general manager that took the goalie first. But as soon as one person grabbed one, it was almost like, okay, everybody come in now. It's quote-unquote safe to grab your goaltenders. Now, that has certainly changed, and I think, you know, players like, you know, Jake Ottinger is a first-round pick and Kerry Price is a first-round pick. But I've I've always wondered, I, I really have, just considering how much of a premium position goaltender is, not unlike quarterback uh, in the NFL, why we don't see more goaltenders taken earlier. I understand about the development curves for all these guys, but just considering how sensitive a position it is, is, and what's the old saying? If you have a goalie, it's 70% of your team, and if you don't, it's 100. Uh, I'm always, you know, endlessly surprised at why managers are so cautious, trepidatious about taking goaltenders with first-round picks or taking goalies high in general. Do you have a thought on that one? Uh, you know, I, I remember Mike uh, Milbury at the draft when he took DiPietro first, right? And so he already yep. had Luongo, yep. and he traded Luongo to Florida, and he took DiPietro number one. And one of the reasons is he really liked uh, DPX's ability to move the puck. And I, I gained a ton of respect for Milbury at that, that day because he goes to the podium after they announce the pick. Uh, sorry, he comes out to talk to the media 
after it's announced what he's done, and he's just getting hammered. Like, people are just all over him. And he handled it, like, just like a pro. Like, like I wasn't at hockey night yet. I, I, I was still at the, the score um, at the time. And I just remember, like, Milgram just stood up there, and he just dealt with it all. And I remember somebody saying to him, wait a sec, so you just traded Roberto Luongo basically for Rick DiPietro because of the way DiPietro moves the puck? And he goes, yep. And he goes, yeah. he, and I remember a report, it was, it was Joel LaPointe from the New York Times. He's like, he was a really good reporter. He said, Mike, like, that's insane. And he, and he looked at him and he goes, well, that's your opinion. I've looked at Marty Brodeur across the river and it was just back and forth like this. It was, uh, <laughs> um, look, like, like I, I think this, like <laughs> if, if you're going to do anything in life, you have to have the courage of your convictions. As long as you can back it up and say, we have a good reason for doing it, and this is the reason, I understand it. I mean, like, no matter what you do in life now, like, like, I mean, look at how, like, I don't know if you were watching what was going on. Like, I I made the mistake of opening up Twitter for a couple minutes on the weekend and looking at the For You tab, which I generally studiously avoid. And first of all, I have real oh, yeah. questions about myself as a person when some of the stuff on the For You tab comes up. But I was looking at it, and I was like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, the world has gone yeah. insane. And um, I just look at it like, uh, I just look, you know what, like, Jeff, like, everybody's got an opinion. That's the way the world is now. And as long as you've got a good process, you can justify why you did what you did. That's all you can do. You know how I look at it, Elliot? Dogs don't bark at parked cars. Dogs don't bark at parked cars. Um, yeah, you, you like know, that thing. Shiro, I know that. Great. I I love it. Dogs don't bark at parked cars. I always give people give. I always give people that advice when you're getting nailed on Twitter. Like in our profession, it happens all the time, and that's fine. That's occupational hazard, yeah. as you like to say. You know, Fred Shiro. Fred Shiro had the great line, Dave Schultz. Uh, this would have been early to mid '70s, and Dave Schultz was putting up like 470 penalty minutes a year, uh, rewriting the penalty minute record book. And Hockey News does a big cover page on uh, Dave Schultz is ruining the NHL. Uh, this type of hockey is killing this game, etc., etc., etc. And he goes into Fred Shiro's office, and he says, uh, "You know, my my parents read this in Saskatchewan, like my friends, my family, like this is." This is terrible. And Fred Shearer says, oh, you don't like this, Dave. And Schultz's like, no, no, I, I don't like this at all. This is really bad. And he said, you want to make it go away? And Dave's like, yeah, of course I want to make it go away. And Shearer says, here's the advice you follow then. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Now get yeah. out of my office. I've always loved that advice. If you don't want to it's get marked advice. at, if you don't want to get criticized, then just don't do anything. But the minute you do something, you're going to get criticized. Just understand yeah. that when you get in the batter's box, sometimes you might get hit by a pitch. Um, okay, so more drafts. So, that's a, so, my, we'll so basically what I'm saying is if you want to take a goalie in the first round, do it. Just make sure you have the right process. Do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Okay. Um. Oh, by the way, I've got Yarmo Kekalainen coming up at the bottom of the hour. He's probably a good person to ask about uh, about all things drafty. Uh, do you have a quick thought on where Columbus is at right now? And I don't think anyone thinks for one second that Kekalainen or Mike Babcock, anyone in that organization, are are done with their moves. Yeah. How, how do you see Columbus right now? 
Well, first of all, I've heard they're not going to move the number three. I, I think it would be crazy to do it. So I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what he what he says about that. Like those kinds of players, those kinds of players like the Carlsons, the Will Smiths, whoever's available there, um, they don't become available too often. You draft those players, and uh, yeah. So I, I'm curious about uh, that pick. You know, the other thing too is um, I I think like. I think they're going to go out and uh, they're going to find a center. And for a long time, I thought it was Kevin Hayes. Now I don't think it's going to be him. I think they're going to go elsewhere. So I'm curious about that. And, you know, he, uh, Jeff, your true challenge here is, is to get him to talk about Babcock because you refuse to do that so far. We're going to see how skilled <laughs> you are as a broadcaster. Yeah. By the way, we'll speaking see if of I can coaches. stick handle that one. Yes. Speaking of coaches, I'm hearing that Travis Green may be joining the staff in Jersey. He might be the Andrew Burnett replacement. And I think Green had a lot of interest. I think he had a lot of choice, including he, uh, in the market where you and I Calgary, live. No? As, as a head coach? No, not as the head coach. I think he would have come in. If he was coming here, he would have been on Keith's staff, I think. Okay, so that would be the Carberry position there, because you know, I yeah, I, I think, think they talked to him uh, about there, it. There's a few yeah. names that there's a, there's a few names that uh, that I've wondered about and had conversations with uh, Carl Taylor being one, Todd Nelson. We'll see what happens tonight with Hershey and Coachella Valley and and Mitch Love, who didn't uh, end up getting the job in Calgary. Um, okay, so a, a I heard Green. I, I heard um, Green had our, options, and I think it may be New Jersey. Yeah. Okay, we will stand by for that. Travis Green, New Jersey Devils. Um, let me ask you about Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. You know, taking us 20 minutes into this chat to get into Oliver Ekman Larson. It was a big story over the weekend outside of a very buckled William Carlson. Um, so I think a lot of us were surprised by this one. I didn't know that Vancouver was going to go down this route. Um, but there it was. Two things. In your estimation, what does this mean for both the Vancouver Canucks and what does this mean for Oliver Ekman Larson? Other that, someone is getting Oliver Ekman Larson at a very deep discount this summer. Well, look, first of all, like I said on the pod this morning, I think it was the right move. Like this, this wasn't going to work. And it's an expensive mistake, and yes, it, it has ramifications. But at the end of the day, if something's not going to work, uh, you one of the toughest things to do is say we're not going to do this, we're going to stop doing this, even if it costs us a lot of money. Oftentimes, it's the right thing to do, but a lot of people don't have the guts to do it. I think in the long run, this will be better for the Vancouver Canucks, and it will be better for Oliver Ekman Larson. I think he will... Uh, rediscover his career somewhere else in a different role where he's not making as much money, probably quieter. I think it will really benefit him. Uh, I, I think now I'm, I'm very curious to see what the Canucks are going to do here. Um, you know, I, I wondered if this was with a specific person in mind. I was told, no, there's nothing like that right now. But I, I find it hard to believe that there isn't an idea of what's going to happen here. 
or what kinds of things they're going to do. I still think they're looking at defense. I still think they're looking at center. And I wonder if they're going to look somewhere else too. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think that you're not making this move unless you have a target or some kind of a jet objective. And now it's on all of us to figure out what that objective is because they are going to do something. There's, they're, they're not going to let that extra $7 million in cap space just go unused. It's just not happening. Uh, if you're putting together like a, a, a ladder of uh, of moves that Patrick Alvine slash Jim Rutherford have to make in the offseason, it, it includes contract extensions too, to say nothing of, you know, trades, free agent signings, etc. How would you prioritize what you think Vancouver is going to do this offseason, knowing full well that, listen, they have some really good pieces here. They have elite level players at all all three positions, forward, defense, and in goal. How do you put together yeah. a list of priorities for Vancouver? Well, I think, I think you always prioritize your best players. So the, the first thing, or, or the best player that you have to deal with, right? So the first thing I'm wondering is, what's Pedersen thinking? Is he willing to extend? What's that going to look like? Like, to me, that's your number one priority because if you're going out and you're going to use this money in free agency, we're talking about term, right? And that interferes with, or I wouldn't say it interferes, but that can affect the cap space that you have for someone like Patterson. So that's the fir- that's always yeah. the first thing. And, you know, Jeff, it's impossible for me to believe they, they haven't been looking at that already. I mean, they've got to know what Pedersen's thinking. They've got to know what this is going to involve. They've got to know what the number is. So I'm sure all of that is part of the conversation. So that's my number one priority. My, my next priority is, I'm look, like how do you win in this league? You win with down the middle. You, you win with defense. And you win with uh, depth. And you win with quality goaltending. You're right. They have the goalie. Uh, they have some parts of that other stuff, but not all of it. I, you know, I, I think I know Tockett feels very strongly they need another center. They really need another center badly. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking at: is who's their next center, and how are they going to address now? Look, like maybe Ekman Larson didn't work there, but you've got a hole in the spot. You could have a hole in the Meyer spot if they if they move him. You have a hole in the Bear spot because he's not going to start the year. So how are you going to address all that? Like you know, that's so I, I think those are the things I'm looking at. But to me, it always starts with Pedersen because he's your most important player on the radar that you have to deal with. Okay, let me circle back on something here off the uh, off the top, talking about Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, listen, when Rutherford took over um, this organization from Jim Banning, one of the things that he talked about was creating flexibility, the ability to move, need cap space, need to be able to to swim in the water here. Um, and that didn't happen in the first season, and, and now it's happening. And, and I'm with you. I, I think we'll see what happens with Tyler Myers. I think he has a bonus. On July first, and then you know, it's, it's, I think I think it's it's actually gets paid. I think in September. Now these are things that can always be dealt with. Yeah, these are things yeah. that can always be dealt with. But I, I don't know. Like like the thing about Myers is like I, I was talking to someone at, at the Stanley Cup about Myers, and 
you know, they said to me, you look at, and, and we talked about this on the pod today about, you know, Vegas's defense and Colorado's defense and Tampa's defense. Yeah. Like if, if you put Myers into a situation where with a, you know, with a really sound team and like, like, like you watch the way that some of these Stanley cup teams play defense and there's room for Myers in this league. And you know, now every, he's got one year left and everyone's going to haggle about the bonus because that's what everyone does. But, like, like, I was just talking to a couple of guys about it and they're like, there's no way there isn't room for Myers somewhere. Like, someone's going to, and he said more than one, like, there's going to be teams looking at the way the Stanley Cup teams play defense in the last three years. And floor is a bit yeah. different because they weren't as long and lean and lanky. But they're like, someone's going to look at that and say, Tyler Myers can easily fix, fi- uh, fill one of those six spots on mm. our team. Like, I, 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 th- I understand everybody's haggling over the bonus, but like, the idea that there isn't a spot for him on a good team, like, I, I find that crazy. You know, I, I know there were certain times where Dallas looked at Tyler Myers, and that might be for the obvious reasons, but um, I don't know that that's going to be there anymore. But I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think that there's there's going to be a spot out there uh, for someone with that size specifically. Although, you know, it's funny, too. Whenever you mention a, a, a defenseman and coming in at a bargain, uh, whether you know bonuses are play, paid already or players have been bought out, right away the right away the conversation turns to Tampa because Tampa can turn players into something almost superhuman. Let, let me ask you one one follow up to um, to Oliver Ekman Larson. So they free up some cap space. They use Oliver Ekman Larson to do it. Does that mean that? And we'll see what happens with Tyler Myers. Someone like Brock Besser breathes a little bit of a sigh of relief that it's not him. Uh, yeah, you know what? The, I would say that's probably true. Like, Besser sound, certainly sounds like he wants to stay. I think the one thing we've learned about Rutherford, though, Jim Rutherford has been an executive in the NHL for how long now? Yeah, I know. Like, do not bet on what he may or may not do. He's, listen, it's... um. He's got big it brass. It took a little months, longer. Like he, he's not well, afraid. He does the, the, but the, 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 the only thing, though, is I think this one just took one season longer than we thought it would when Rutherford took over. Like when Rutherford mm-hmm. first took over, we thought that summer was going to be explosions. And mm-hmm. instead, it was a JT Miller extension, something that we kind of looked at and said, mm, I thought you were trying to move JT Miller. Anyhow. Uh, the Miller story has been uh, well told. Um, all right. Uh, I got to hustle. Yarmo Kekalainen on the other side. And we'll try to squeeze. I can't believe I'm ball getting ball dumped for Yarmo Kekalainen. This is, this is, well, this is disgraceful. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, no. This is pretty much right on point. Yep. No, this is, uh, <laughs> this is, this is, this is good. People are understanding this. You, uh, go enjoy what is a very sunny afternoon. Oh, really quickly. You mentioned it on the, uh, on the podcast over the weekend. Uh, I was really jealous. You got to see the cure, uh, oh, on yeah. Saturday in Montreal. I know it was a great father's day for you. So, uh, congratulations. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the cure and Robert Smith. They played, what'd you say on the pod? 31 songs, 31 30 songs. songs. Yeah. Almost three hours. Incredible. Incredible. Even 32 would have been perfect for you, Elliot. <laughs> 31, but 32 would have been ideal. Okay, uh, you enjoy your sunny afternoon. We'll talk tomorrow. All right, buddy. Take care. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.